0: Hello, and thanks for listening to Captivate Ed, a podcast dedicated to equipping education leaders like you with strategic storytelling solutions that address the ever-changing needs of your school and district. I'm your host, Jake Sturgis, founder of Captivate Media and Consulting, a team dedicated to using story to positively impact education. And this podcast is just that, lifting up your stories and learning from each other. Thanks for being here. You are listening to our latest episode in our series focused on amplifying student voice to help transform adult mindsets. My guest today is Josh Frazier, principal of Brooklyn Center Middle and High School STEAM. Josh, thanks for being here today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: I'm going to let you kind of just give your bio and just a little bit of context about you and your, your background as well as Brooklyn Center.
1: Brooklyn Center is the only school district that I've worked in. This is my 16th year serving in BC. Currently, the principal of the middle school and the high school are a 612 building, a very unique secondary building. Our students are incredible. They're activists. They're they're movement starters. And so this work is really passionate to me. Our student demographics, we are close to 90% free and reduced lunch. We're about 90% students of color. Our staff demographics are almost the opposite, about 18% staff of color. Obviously, that's a gap that we're working on, but it gives you an idea of, of the cultural, racial dynamics that you know we work towards here in BC. We're also you know, a very small district, so that allows us to be very nimble and flexible and responsive in many ways, just because we have a very smooth way to be able to gather data, collect data, and respond to the needs of students in the moment.
0: Yeah, that is one thing that's unique, as you guys share a border with Minneapolis and, you know, obviously a much larger city. But you have been able to be nimble and to bring in things like the Voices Framework to help understanding with staff and to help amplify student voice. We went into Brooklyn Center. I don't even know how many years ago it was. It's probably like four. Talk about some of the, the pain points that, that you've encountered when it comes to amplifying student voice and getting adults just to better understand students' lived experiences and where they're coming from.
1: Yeah, I think it was four or five years ago when we first partnered in our work at that time was trying to really up our game with data literacy and understand the stories that are are happening and being told in multiple ways beyond just conventional measures. And at that point in time, we were also going through some transitions, upheaval with our schedules because of construction, moving into two buildings. And so we had a lot in front of us and we needed to make sure that we weren't just Focusing on the adult needs during that time, and so we we started to ask ourselves the question: What data is really missing? And for us, one of our core values was to center student voice and the student experience. We were doing that in pockets, but we weren't doing it systematically and in a very formal way. And this was an opportunity when we first met, when you talked about the framework for us to partner and create a more formal way for us to engage with students and and be able to. Like fully understand emotionally the experiences that they've had and are having for us to be more intentional about short-term changes, long-term priorities, and just the way that we interact as adults to create the conditions for student learning.
0: Can you talk a little bit just about the implementation? Because we created three videos for you, a six through eight for your middle school staff, a ninth grade really focusing on the freshman transition and ninth grade students, and then 10 through 12. Just kind of talk a little bit about why you wanted to go that direction and what that did for your staff. As
1: a 612 building, sometimes we often often talk about what we need to do as a school, but we're actually two schools. We always argue like our ninth grade is almost a school within the school at the high school. And so knowing those things and knowing that we wanted to be able to feel a different experience and to set different priorities based on those developmental years, we wanted to get a feeling of the experiences of our middle school, which was much different than the transition to ninth grade, which we believe is so important. One of the most important things to set up success for high school and even college and career is that ninth grade experience. And so we wanted to really target that intentionally for our ninth grade team and then the 10 through 12 experience as students are set up and going through their pathways for college and career. So we set that up very intentionally based on kind of the different feelings of a school within a school that I think most people understand. Especially
0: for those teachers who teach ninth graders, to be able to hear from a dozen of their students was really powerful and not just, you know, hearing from a sixth grader who they may or may not have in class yet and then obviously it's a different experience for your juniors and seniors going through the system what changes did you see what what kind of impact did you see the voices framework have with staff some of the conversations that were taking place you know now that now that it's been 4 or 5 years are, are some of those changes still in place
1: great question when you are able to fully experience and empathize with the student experience. You understand if the core values that you write on paper are actually happening and are like leading edge to the outcomes you have as a school. And so for us, I think for some people, it was just eye-opening to understand that the student experience as told through their stories was much different than what adults assumed their experiences were. And so that gap was a gap that we learned, like, learned really quickly, not only in the short term of like a shock, but in the long term of how this needs to be a, a central part of our work moving forward as we collect community data. What are the student experiences? And if we're not asking that question, then there's a good chance that gap probably exists. So that was one of the biggest changes for us in schooling and in an education. I think there's it's hard to get everybody with the same beliefs in the same school all in the same direction. And as someone leading the ship, that is the goal. It's, it's hard to get there with, with all staff. But one way to do that is to be able to take the adult experience and not necessarily move it to the side, but center the student experience so that we can't deny what they're saying and feeling in relationship to our other data, the more conventional outcomes that we're hoping to achieve. And so that helps to be able to put some values, emotions to the side and say, what are our students actually saying if we disagree on something what are the students saying and that was another change that really helped us in the years following instead of a sip a school improvement plan just lying on paper it helped us create yearly like robust outcomes and actions that are based on what students want in their experience and changes they want to see in order to you know feel a sense of belonging to have curriculum that matches who they are and their their culture and their their aspirations to have activities outside of school that that help with different career pathways that we might not have offered previously to be able to address the i would say significant gaps in like cultural and racial understandings from our community versus our staff and to do that collectively those were huge huge changes for us that they're not necessarily solved now but they continue to be centered in our work because we put students' experiences at the center and continue to do so.
0: You've been digging into the data for a long time. And how are you able to kind of still use the data, but then to help with, with those student stories and the, those experiences to help, I guess, change mindsets of staff instead of just looking at the data and saying, hey, we've got a problem. We've got disproportionate suspension rates, so or we've got our opportunity gap can, continues to to expand. What, in your opinion, I mean, just kind of Helped unlock some of that for staff, for them to be able to finally maybe have that aha moment of, this is what Josh has been trying to tell us this whole time, or this is what the data really says, but this is this is how it's being lived out. This is this is the experience of our students.
1: If it's not a collective vision, it it can be like a divi- a divisive thing where we're arguing about a direction of the school. And so, you know, the thing for me was to take a step back and say, is it my vision that's strictly what we're trying to focus on as a community? Or is this really the intersections of what I see as the, the building principle to be the vision with what our students want and need and what our staff and families want and need? And so being able for everybody to step back and look at those intersections was a really big aha moment for us. It, it allows us to sacrifice something we think we know and want and say, well, does that really have an impact on student learning? Does it really have an impact on student experience? Is it really what you know we want for change, our families want for change, and students want for change? That I think has been the biggest aha. The other thing too is that the framework itself is basically a tipping point. It's an opportunity to see and experience the data, but you have to then do something with it. And so my question afterwards, when we first started working with the framework was, what are we now going to do in our professional learning spaces to keep that tipping point in a nonlinear systemic change towards our understanding of how race and oppression is showing up in our adult actions that are creating oppressive spaces for students? And that's what we had to continue to address in our, in our PLCs from an instructional perspective, from a culture and climate perspective, from an activity and belonging perspective. And that was hard. That was hard because I think a lot of people didn't want to hear what students had to say. People would actually spin it to say this we had planted students in order to tell a story that like admin wanted to to see and hear. And the framework does a good job of ensuring that the process is tight so that everybody's collective around the questions and is not like set up to, to specifically get to some agenda. It's set up to truly understand the experience of students, but for folks to spin it. In that way, the question was, if you're not ready to hear the student's experience, and if you think it's a planted seed for an agenda, then is this really the right place for you to work? Because this is what you, your students are telling you. This is what they're saying. And that allowed us to really get together and, and, and create, I think, a much more collective space for who really wants to serve in BC and who might have to take a, a move to a space that is different than Brooklyn Center and what, what our vision, that intersection of the vision
0: yeah, I remember after some of the facilitated conversations that we had with staff that there were there were some hard conversations and I think some moments of truth for some of your from staff members watching the video and hearing from the students and then maybe realizing this isn't the right place for them or this isn't the right profession for them based on what they heard from students. Can you can you share a little bit about that?
1: We we talk a lot about having courageous conversations, you know, across the metro and I think most people want to be able to do that to have the real conversation. About what's happening, and not rhetoric, and not you know, pol- politic getting in the way. And this was a way for us to have a tipping point for us to have our first real, and, and me and I think it was my first year as a building principal, first or second, to use this as like a I keep calling it a tipping point, but like a nexus for us to say these are the conversations we're going to continue to have from here on out. Like this is our expectation to engage. We then had to develop some conditions around it so that we weren't being harmful in in the way that we are interacting and being real, because that's the next step. We learned that a little bit the hard way, but that was a a huge thing just in reflecting as a leader. And so yeah, some people through those conversations felt like I don't belong here anymore, and it's time for me to move on to another space. This is a hard part, I think, for for schools, because it's changed a lot in the last two decades it's not the adult space it's a student space it is our job to then you know create belonging amongst adults but it's not what the adults want that you know we have to take into account the things that educators need in order and the conditions they need to be successful but if we're really looking at a sense of belonging a sense of belonging only comes from our youth
0: a lot of people think, well, this is my classroom as an adult, but I know that, that that dynamic has changed in Brooklyn Center. Talk more about that importance of belonging and that importance of creating that space that's safe and and really kind of that power dynamic changing from I'm the adult, I know everything, this is my classroom, to empowering students, amplifying voice, and really helping to break down some of those power dynamics that have been in place in education for a long time.
1: In a traditional like observation format, when you know I'm in a classroom and scripting lessons to give instructional feedback, one of the things that teachers will see is me asking questions to students on specifically how they're engaging in a task. And all those questions help me to get a feel for the student experience, which is always different from the adult experience. And that's okay, but the more we know what those differences are, the better the classroom environment is going to be and the better the outcomes will be for that classroom and that's just an example of then the questions I can ask when coaching staff not just teachers but in in all spaces like what are the questions you're asking students to understand their experience of the impact of what you just taught or the group you just led or the, the conflict you just resolved how are you understanding that experience and then the other part which was unique for us is is there someone else where the power of dynamic and shift that can come ask that question for you? One of the the critical elements of the framework was really powerful for us was having a third party actually ask the questions. So it wasn't me asking the questions, it wasn't our staff asking the questions. And that allows students to be a little more vulnerable. They often like to tell school adults what we want to hear because that, that's just their condition to do so and to have a third party offers a, like a more authentic way for those experiences to come out. And so I encourage staff, and I do that myself as well, to, to have other people get that feedback for you and be able to see that data yourself. The things that have transformed for us, though, is our, our students. Uh, we call our, our school improvement process our playbook. And, you know, we have students that lead the, the playbook process. We have students that it's mandatory to be on all of our interview processes. We have a youth in action research leadership group. We have multiple leadership teams throughout our, our school as well. This year being a very difficult year as we transition back to in-person learning, like many districts, we faced the intersection of so many different crises to start the year. And it took us, unfortunately, it probably took us a little too long, but it took us a couple months to realize that we have to stop trying to solve all these problems and we have to get back to understanding what the student's experience is right now in the moment, what are the stories that are coming in? And it really helped us respond to like a lot of student quote unquote behavior, less reactionary and try to get back to the preventative work that we knew we needed to have for incoming, you know, mental health and care. When we actually stopped the middle of the year and did some retreats to try to figure out the student stories from the first semester so we could have a much better second semester. So those things are lasting in terms of the culture. And, and you know, you get to the point when you're problem solving. And the question we always ask is, what is the student experience right now when looking for solutions to these problems?
0: Has this built trust with students? And I guess, how would you describe the culture right now and, and that relationship between staff and students?
1: The key with trust is not that you create the space. I mean, that's a the huge first step to listen to stories. It's that you follow up in an authentic way to the themes that are coming out in the stories and turn those into the priorities that you're going to focus on as a school. And our youth don't always have the language to say it, like what they really want and need. So sometimes we have to keep digging and find out what that means for us to, to then, you know, build structures and create expectations and figure out how we're going to love our students more. And, and that can be a challenge, but the the big difference that I think our students feel is empowerment. When we went through the crisis of the murder of Dante Wright in our community, it was students who took over and reclaimed our school that was around the unrest of our building. And if we didn't have the pre-work leading up to that, they probably would have been asking all these questions to us like, what can we do? What can we do? They just started leading and we got to follow them. And that was a shift in culture, I think, from the work that led up to that point. And also, you know, we've learned a lot about what the difference is between student voice student agency student power true you know student agency is when they're actually they don't need to ask to create the spaces that they want and need to thrive that they just know the parameters and they're able to do that that's where you see a huge shift and and i think students still have to ask a whole bunch of permission and that's where we need to continue to grow but the culture here is one that you know students have ownership of of our space
0: that's amazing and I love I've love just, I don't know, being able to sit back and, and watch your journey because we've, we've documented a number of those different student voice pieces kind of along the way over the last couple of years and I think you guys are truly leaders in amplifying student voice in a meaningful way because I think in many places it can be just window dressing where you've got a student on a, on a school board and they're, they're just kind of a, a puppet of sorts but they're not really able to make change. And you've been so intentional in trying to get students you know, involved, getting them to that point where they can just more or less run with things with it, within some guardrails that are set up for them to be able to take things and advance them forward. As you think back with the work that we've done with the Voices Framework, I mean, just kind of talking to you personally, What's impacted you the most, and are, are there things that have that, that have changed the way that you look at things, the way that you build relationships, the way that you hire teachers when it comes to what you've had the opportunity to learn from students about?
1: This type of framework, I think, is something that when I was in the classroom was a, a cornerstone to the way that I, I led a classroom space as well. So it wasn't a hard adjustment for me personally, but leading it in a much larger scale was because it it's just not everybody naturally thinks that that's the right way to do do the work one of the the hard things about this type of work is stu- you have to let students screw up too when they're when they're planning projects when they're setting priorities because their priorities might not be right they might be wrong because they might not have all the information and it's our job to then not necessarily change their their mind, but give them the experience so they can see, you know, some failure in order to respond. And that's actually a struggle we're working through right now. Is like, they have so much power that they're dropping some balls or screwing up here, but they, you have to let that space happen. And that's that's a difficult difficult thing to be in as a full staff. But I think that the biggest change is just core values it's spread across our district. It's not just in our building. Students know when they come here, they're they're shocked at. I think the amount of input, like I was just in all of our AVID classes doing school improvement work with them. And, you know, there's some new students to Brooklyn Center and they're like, wow, I didn't know students could talk about the budget. Like I, I showed them every line item in our budget. It was a shock to, to the students. How do you deal with
0: staff that don't necessarily want to move in that same direction, that they hear from students and they live in a different reality? and they, they don't think that students should have as much power and agency and control and that adults should have more power and students maybe just making things up to you know try and get less homework or whatever it might be. Talk about how you deal with some of that adversity and some of those, I guess, differing opinions when you've got a fairly large staff and... Lots of different perspectives and ways of thinking that their way should be the way that things should be done.
1: I think first of all is that you can help them see that they might actually be right with some of those critiques because that is the truth. Sometimes when you give students power and voice, they do want to use that in order to like do less or work less hard or, or, or. So what I always try to say is it's not necessarily that you have to, to change everything you believe But what you do have to do is you have to stay present and listen and then pose questions that you're truly curious about. One way to do that is through modeling. It's not necessarily restorative chats, but it's the same kind of idea where you you take the power dynamic a little bit and you you shift it down. So we're just going to have a conversation and being able to model that for teachers on how to ask actually curious questions and not just ask the question that you're leading because you want to elicit a certain response because of your beliefs and values. So I don't I don't like to say that a teacher is necessarily wrong or a staff member is wrong when they have an opinion about a student who might be manipulating their power to do less work, but I would I would look at the set of questions they're asking the student. And is it general enough? Is it open enough? Are you truly curious about why they want to do less work if that's what you truly believe? Are you truly curious about like what makes them wanna take a step back from working their tail off in your in your class. And if you if you show them and you feel them that you really want to know, that's how the power dynamic shifts and you're gonna get a much more real answer. And then as a, a an educator, you can figure out how to respond differently to that student. That's a that's a more micro level of of how to deal with that in like a moment to moment basis.
0: I love that. And it's I mean and, and I'm guessing that that really helps strengthen those relationships, or even perhaps even build those relationships between staff and students, when there is that common understanding, and when when people ask really good questions, it shows that they care, and it shows that they're listening, and it and it shows that they have a vested interest in what's going on, and not just to like shut things down. Oh, this is a terrible idea. Can't, you know, have you thought about this, this, and this? But as you talked about reframing things, is a really powerful way to be able to ask those good questions and still. Get maybe get across what you're trying to as an adult to, to show that concern and to, maybe, have you thought about this or have you thought about that, but to do that in a way that is really empowering to the students. We're running late on time here, but I wanted to ask about the investment piece because we get that question a lot in terms of money and what does this cost and, and time investment and whatnot. You're a small District in Minnesota, smaller than, than a lot. And you were able to bring us in to really help with facilitating these conversations and, and creating the, the videos for your staff. Can you talk a little bit about that investment piece?
1: I'm a firm believer that your money is a, you know, in your budget is a clear path to explain the values that you have as a district or as a building. And you could put them on paper all you want, but your money will tell you what you're invested in and the resources that you're invested in. What I always ask myself is looking at our budget, where is it that we're putting resources to create these types of tipping points, these types of experiences that are going to help us grow when it comes to the experience and stories of our students and our families? Also, I say that with staff too, as a a principal, because I have to ensure that I'm also listening to their story because I'm here to create the conditions for them to be successful. But I would look at your budget and say, where, where does student voice show up? just in a very general term, and then where do you you actually put the time and money and resources to creating experiences that are going to help dig into some conversations to expose what what your student story data looks like compared to, you know, we put a lot of resources to conventional measures and achievement measures, but there's a lot to show on on the educational debt racially and culturally when it comes to the stories of our youth. That that's what I would pose. And if it's not the voices framework, what is it? What is it?
0: And, and you said, I mean, you've been in Brooklyn Center for 16 years. You've seen a lot of different initiatives kind of come and go throughout that time. And I think that's, that's a criticism that a lot of teachers have of, of administrators is, you know, there's a different flavor of the week in terms of focus and, and what people are spending money and time on. What makes the Voices Framework different and unique from some of those other initiatives that, that you've been a part of?
1: It's driven around the stories of students. You're not putting money towards, most of the time, some sort of evidence-based practice that you have to fully implement with all staff. You're actually taking your data and you're moving it to community-based data, and it's going to tell you a completely different story, and it's going to reset all your priorities. It's going upstream in terms of analyzing how you should actually use resources, number one. I think, number two, the idea of having, like, I want to say that we can always do this work internally, that we have enough, like, just amazing relationships that our kids will be authentic with us. And I also know that students and our youth often tell us what we want to hear to just, you know, because they don't trust the process or we're placating them by asking them questions. And so having a third party come in is a method for collecting the data that can be much more effective in getting the authentic stories from our, our youth.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more, head over to our website at captivatemedia.us, where you can join our email list as well as check out samples of our work in action. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Jake Sturgis. Thanks again, and I hope to see you next time.